Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. This is where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and professional goals. I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my truly amazing guests, we will bring you inspiring and actionable insights to take your life and your business to the next level. Ranked in the top 2% globally, this podcast really is a must-listen. So whether you are tuning in for entrepreneurial tips, career advice, or personal development strategies, get ready to turn inspiration into action, challenges into triumphs, and dreams into reality. So sit back, relax, and prepare to transform your aspirations into achievements. And today I'm discussing public relations and privacy in the AI era with our guest Liliana Pertanava. She's here to offer insights on effective leadership, personal growth, and navigating the business landscape in the age of AI. And we're all worried about that. Many of us are embracing it. Many of us are going, oh, geez, what's going on? So she's here to help us understand it. With a background in strategic communication, Business Insider recognized her as one of 100 most influential tech women on Twitter, highlighting her significant impact in the tech industry. And Liliana's recent role involved leading the global public relations team for the encrypted messaging app Viber, V-I-B-E-R, and collaborating with digital security and privacy experts. And during her free time, she moderates a Reddit AI community with 130,000 members, delving into the latest developments and issues in the field. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio, Liliana. It's good to have you here. And I'm so excited about talking with you. I'm stumbling a little bit. So if you hear me stuttering, it's because I've got questions. I really (laughs) want to know what you've got to share with our audience. Well, it's fantastic to be here, Denise. Thank you for having me. Hello to all our listeners. And I really, really am excited to talk about the topics of privacy, the topics of business development in the AI era, because there's a lot to discuss. That's for sure. There is. And as I was discussing with you in the green room, our virtual green room a little bit ago, I'm probably going to just sit here very quietly, listen (laughs) and take a lot of notes because this is a big, big topic. It really Mm -hmm. is for so many reasons. And privacy is a huge issue when you're on social media, when you're on Google, wherever you are, privacy is a big issue. And now we're mixing AI into all of that. So go I mean, tell us whatever you think is important for us to know. Um, I really think it's quite significant that we are talking now because I believe that about a year ago, ChatGPT was released to the public and it had started off quite a frenzy in the tech space, in the VC venture capital and investment space as well, and got many just regular people excited about AI and probably the first time after maybe 10 very, very intense years of development of this technology, us, you know, regular users, not techies, not experts could really try it out and see for ourselves how 
um, really far the development has come in the generative artificial intelligence, AI. So, I mean, we are quite um, maybe celebrating, you know, the come of AI into our lives. And I can tell you it's here to stay, um, mainly for several reasons. One of the, the reasons is investors are very, very excited about this technology. And I have a little, a little bit of data uh, with me today. Um, uh, and I wanted to just mention that venture capitals are pouring, pouring billions into generative AI right now as we speak. And they have invested almost five times as much into generative AI firms in the first half of 2023 as during the same period of last year. And even excluding that Microsoft just invested $10 billion uh, just in January this year, it's still um, even 58% higher compared with the first half of 2022. Uh, the investments. And as I've mentioned, this this is led by, of course, last year, uh, November 2022 release of ChatGPT, which just like made everybody absolutely go crazy about AI. And so many people got excited and investors just pouring money into this thing like crazy. And the other issue this might cause, you know, this excitement overall, we've seen this in crypto a little while ago. Um, and people are discussing as well, is it a bubble in the investment space? Because mm, it seems that it's like a new dot AI bubble coming our way, which is just starting. And the reason for that is just because, you know, every startup in, in the space is now adding AI to its pitch deck to investors <laughs> because of this overall excitement. And this just gets money thrown at companies sometimes that have neither earnings nor actual innovative product uh, nor the right expertise on their side. Sometimes this happens as well. So there are quite a few processes happening right now as we speak and also the implementation of AI. Uh, people try to plug it everywhere. They Maybe. do. <laughs> it's, it's downright embarrassing because you can look at something. I know you can, I can. And you'll look at something that has been posted on Facebook or LinkedIn or even in a blog. Mm. You see all the emojis. Listen, audience, if you're taking everything out of chat GPT and you're including those emojis, we know what you did. Stop <laughs> it. So, okay, I'm done. Well, I mean, emojis is not the worst part, right? Um, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the worst that you can do with AI. And I mean, a lot of experts are speaking about, so there's there's a big challenge coming. Of course, you know, this is just a tool, right? It can be used for the best. It can be used for the worst by different people out there. So of course, I've, I've heard about frauds uh, committed by criminals who use AI to generate voice um, and call people for money, at, right? Yeah, pretending to be their relatives, you know, all of that. It's pretty horrific, um, you know, if you ask me. And people don't have the, the means to defend themselves against such type of frauds currently. So, because 
this is just a, a huge wave of development coming our way. The, the means of protection, the means of being able to detect AI um, are not yet developed as much. And that's, that's another step that I think needs to be taken just to kind of be sure what you're dealing with in every moment of interaction. I agree with you. And sometimes we can tell, oftentimes we can tell if we're paying attention and other times we're thinking, huh, I wonder if this is real. I'll be honest with you. I'm getting pretty, I don't know, sardonic, sarcastic, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so many things that I see, particularly on social media. People say, oh, this is, here's a photograph of this beautiful bird. It's AI. If you're going to pass it off as a photograph, you're lying and you're going to lose credibility. But, you know, if it's too beautiful and it's so detailed, it's probably not a photograph and you've just been had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're tapping in a, in a into a very big problem with AI, the generative images and videos. And I mean... Even President Biden, I believe, mentioned this in one of his speeches. I don't want to get political. I'm just curious that he mentioned it in one of his in one of his talks that fake news, fake fake AI generated things can appear at any time, and that's why we need to regulate it. You know, long, long story short. So yeah, that's a huge issue. So I mean, it's not only that somebody can lose credibility as a content content creator, but it's sometimes people can be really, really fooled by what they see online. Oh yeah, and mani- manipulated as well. Yeah, that's a big problem actually. And for now, like I cannot tell you there is an antidote. Actually, that's the problem. So be careful and be mindful of what you see online and. Some ways to check is to do Google search of images. Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, Trust me, I do. Yeah. I'm going down that rabbit hole because I'll see something that said, well, that's maybe kind of sort of, it's not. You learn to trust your instincts after a while. But, you know, I, as a marketer in doing the work I do, I don't want to lose credibility mm-hmm. because I shared something with somebody that's clearly not real. And you will lose credibility and it won't take long. You mean that people, content creators, marketers, they are not ethical in using AI? That's what? what... No, no, not at all. They're not careful about using Mm. it. You know, they Mm. say, oh, that's really pretty or whatever AI provided me. Oh, that makes sense. Do your homework. Use your critical thinking. Put your own voice in it. Read it out loud before you post it. There's so many things that you should and could be doing, but if you are, as a content creator, are relying very, very heavily on chat at this point, and you're not really using your own critical thinking and your own history, it's going to bite you. Eventually, it's going to bite you right in the fanny. (laughs) That's just my observation. I think you're right. And I think that the quality, the quality of the content is, it's not just not that good for now with AI. I mean, it's far from perfect, far from something you would publish without heavy, heavy editing. First of all, you know, you really have to invest time and effort uh, to make it uh, worthy and and quality piece of content or image even. Um, So I've played... 
Did I you use, play around? Did you use anything? Yeah. Oh, I use ChatGPT quite a bit, but I'll be very frank with you. I use it more for suggestions than anything else. Hmm. You know, I'll say, okay, write me something about this. And then I'll go, huh. And I may take two or three lines out of it and work with that on my own. But I'm not going to just take the whole thing and plunk it out there on social media. It's a, it's a good starting point. I think it's an excellent starting point mm-hmm. to use it from start to finish and not put you into it and create your own voice in it. I think it's a big mistake. Yeah. You know what I noticed? We had a discussion with other PR professionals working with media relations, public relations, etc. And not just a few of them knew that actually everything you put into those um, AI generators it's not uh, private it's, it's not, not private yeah. right so some people probably um, in some agencies and whatnot are putting client information there uh, or even corporate employees working in marketing and communications divisions might be using some proprietary stuff to feed to this machine and this can be trouble troublesome and many companies now have issued requirements not to use generative AI at work. Right. And wasn't there an attorney not so long ago that got in a good bit of trouble for exactly that? And the judge said, you didn't write this. And, you know, (laughs) this was not your brief. What the heck is this? Yeah. I mean, the judges, I think they will also have quite a lot of cases uh, with that moving forward. And I'm just wondering if there is even kind of a way to, there's a big discussion actually in the field, especially with creative industries, like what, what is a AI generated image? Does it belong to me or, or not? You know what I mean? So who made it? Like I, I, I wrote the prompt for it, but who is the actual IP owner here? And people are not sure. <laughs> I would imagine. And I was going to ask you, but then I realized that we don't know yet. It hasn't been, you know, talked about or, you know, edicts on high handed down. We we just don't know. Again, use caution. So what I really wanted to ask you, Liliana, is AI gradually dominating the startup in the business realm? I mean, what's going on there? You t- You touched on it a bit, but what implications does this hold for us? So first of all, it's creating this bubble-like situation where a lot of people are super excited about it uh, in the startup world, and every startup is adding AI to their pitches to investors, and everybody just tries to find some place for AI in in the product they are developing. And as I've said, it's it's a tool; it can be used uh, quite extensively across different data aspects of companies. But on the other hand, the current, I think the usability of it. So we have ChatGPT, we have Claude AI uh, by Anthropic. We have quite a few models. I think Elon Musk uh, on X just released. He did. I was going to ask you about that. It's a product. Or Grok or something like that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's. It goes by name Grok, um, named after uh, Heinlein's um, sci-fi epic uh, right. novel. Right. Grok X. 
Yeah. So everybody's trying to play in this field, like every company will have its engine. Um, so the fact is that a lot of researchers in, in the machine learning space have been working on this for decades. It's not new, right? It, it has been around for a while, but only for experts and nerds and people who are, um, you know, really into this very costy space because to host um, a neuro, neuro engine, a company needs to have a lot of servers, a lot of power, a lot of means to just support all of this data set um, going around. So it's quite expensive to have an AI engine of your own. So what will happen next is a lot of proprietary engines, as OpenAI does already, they will release APIs to use their engine and build on top of that. So we already see a number of products that are using other proprietary engines to create um, interfaces and products that are easy to use for, for the end clients, uh, but they are not built on top of their own engines. And this really creates a new division on the market where there will be this these number of large players who can afford to have their own models for AI, and they will sell it to hundreds of thousands of other smaller players uh, moving forward. So it's it's similar if you think about it, similar to how cloud infrastructure developed at at, the t at its time in uh, 2010s. So what happened is just a few companies like Microsoft, Amazon, Google could afford the cloud infrastructure, which they then sell to others to host. With AI, it will be the same on the market. So there will be a few big players that will sell and make huge profits on and capitalize on AI for others. Well, that makes sense. And you know what I really wanted to ask you? You, you are um, working in Reddit. And I love Reddit. I haven't been in there a while. They've changed some of their rules. And mm. sure, I like some of their rules, to be honest. But what are you seeing in the Reddit AI community? Because you've got 130,000 members. What are they? Are you seeing any particular things that they're all talking about that they're concerned about, or that they're solving? What's going on over there? Oh, thank you for asking. I really dearly love our cozy community. I think it's already 160K people. Oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. So uh, we have a team of researchers as moderators who work all across the globe. We have people from Germany, from UK, and we have a community which is called like a professional AI community. So it's not memes or anything like it. It's more about professional applications of this technology and mainly developers are in our community and people who are working in the field. So as you see, like it's a lot of people just on Reddit alone. And the current discussion is exactly about how the power dynamics is uh, being developing in an AI world because developers are mainly concerned to have the open source availability for them to be able to experiment and create their own non-monetizable project with AI, but not have to pay to those large corporations to do that. 
using their models. And this is one big topic in, in the professional AI community. Another topic is, you know, all sorts of experiments. So people are building insane things, insane plugins to allow you. So the thing I loved really from the latest is like, you know, those really long YouTube videos, like three hour YouTube video out there. Yeah, I won't watch them. I don't have the kind of patience for that. Exactly. Nobody does, I think. Uh, I know. Uh, so what developers have come up with, they now are able to create a plugin that kind of dissects the whole video and summarize it for you uh, in text. That's handy, I think. Uh, yeah, I just sat up straight and went, ooh, okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah, so there are little cute things that people develop all, all over the board. And I think um, this is a positive thing. You know, we generally need to, we need more people to understand how this works in case it just becomes actual artificial intelligence and wants to destroy the humanity. Uh, the more people we know, <laughs> we have on, on our side, the better, you know. So Exactly. And it's not <laughs> going to destroy humanity. We can do that on our own. We don't need <laughs> At, but it, is it okay if I ask you what is the name of the Reddit community in case people want to go there? And I don't know if you have barriers to joining or if anybody can come on and look, but tell um, me a bit more about it. Sure, absolutely. Anyone can join. So the community is called ChatGPT Pro uh, altogether. Yeah, and we have you can you can ask any of these sorts of questions. There are a lot of experts on on board there, ChatGPT Pro community. And let me check how many members we have. You'll see me over there in about an hour. I'm heading your way. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So, for instance, one of the discussions is you know the new models that are released. People just discuss how they work. What are the problems with it? and prompts improvement and all of those things so i think you'll, you'll enjoy it if you're into ai oh absolutely and prompts are a big you know they're a big issue they really are so much of what i see on my end i'm not i'm techie but not like you maybe when i grow up i'll get there <laughs> i hope so but what I'm seeing from, you know, my community and different social media feeds is people say, well, you have to, you know, you have to do the proper prompts. Well, that mm -hmm. seems to be a big mystery to people. What's a prompt? How do I do it? You know, how many lines do I need? It's kind of fascinating to watch all of this unfold. You can't just ask it to say, hey, write me a blog post about blah, 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 and then take it and go, oh, cool. I'll take that. That's not how you do it. Yeah, not yet. At least you can oh. do that. Yeah, so I think I think in a few iterations, uh, there will be a possibility that models learn on top of everything we've fe fed to them in the past year or two, and basically they learn. So the beauty and the scary thing in AI that it's it's learning on what you feed it. So imagine all of those. So I shouldn't yell at it anymore and say bad words. No, no, uh -oh. no. please don't. I do I do say please and thank you a lot. Uh, I think you will be on good terms when the machine riots. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I'm laughing, they, not really. They will spare you because you're polite. You know, that's always working for people. I try. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
but seriously speaking, I mean, I think prompts are currently the issue, but in a few iterations, they will no longer be because just the model got like gazillion of inputs to learn from um, during a couple of years. And especially, so, I mean, it's like with all those Google CAPTCHAs, you know, the actual thing is Google trained its models on CAPTCHA. Do you know that? I did not. Does it make sense though? <laughs> so it's not a barrier to know if you're a robot. They don't care if you're a robot or not. So the actual thing is they're training their models for vision detection uh, through CAPTCHA. And this happened for how long? Like 10 years, probably, they trained? Yeah, it's been around forever. Yeah, and so millions of people. How many motorcycles people... are on here? Four. Okay, one, yeah. two, three, we go. Yeah, yeah. So this is a neuro model, just one example of one tiny models that Google is now using in AI for uh, visual generative engines. So imagine all of those people writing all of those prompts. This is a free learning playground for AI models out there. I would think so, because they're, they want to know what we want. They want to know what we know, and they want to know how to better service or get around us, whichever way they want to go. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I mean, it's a beautiful solution if you think of it as a, as a marketing expert. You just get millions of free testers. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I think that's important. And so I want, I've got so many questions. Online privacy, what measures can ensure optimal outcomes to you? And I know when we had talked last during um, our pre-interview, you said you had some book recommendations that might be helpful. Oh, yeah. Online privacy, I think, is a little bit connected with AI topic that we just discussed in a way that it's just getting more difficult and more like you really have to be thorough with it um, because of all those AI tools floating into the space of privacy and different fraud activities. Now, uh, you know, my friend just a few days ago got a call with her mom voice saying her mom is in trouble, uh, asking for money. Oh, geez. So like, I, I need to say this because I want more people to be aware that this might happen, right? So what you, what you do, if you get a call like this, you, you might feel nervous, but you really need to try to call the person you think just called you in distress, call back on their, on their, on their phone number that you know, and just talk to an actual person to be sure. Because some people, they just rush and just send money right away. And this can be a problem. It's happening so, on, you know, pets in the world are a big deal. Mm -hmm. Across the globe, we spend millions, billions of dollars on our pets. Mm -hmm. And now they're getting very tricky on, you know, apps like, you know, websites like Paw Boost. My dog got out not so long ago. She decided to go walk about and I could not find her. And, you know, I went on Paw Boost and the next thing I knew, I start getting messages and hmm. voice messages. We have your dog, but it's going to, they were trying to barter my dog for money. Turns oh. out she was in the neighborhood in the backyard, right behind my, my back. And, you know, a man called me, said, I've got your dog. You want me to bring her back? I said, yes, thank you. <laughs> and so had I been stupid enough to fall for that, I would have been paying 
God knows who for a dog mm-hmm. that was, you know, 500 feet away. Exactly. I mean, this is where we need to be, as you say, careful and cautious, uh, specifically with all those AI generative stuff like voice generation, video generation. Right. You know, you, you can get a voice message, a video message from a relative, from a friend, um, you know, and this can be stressful, but we really need to be on alert about those types of things. This is just something I wanted to mention for everyone just to be aware on the more broad privacy topics. So you have mentioned in my bio that I've worked in just recently finished working with an encrypted app and Viber, Viber, right? Yeah. So I can say that using encrypted messaging is one good thing you can do for yourself these days. Uh, Signal is well known in US is another example of those types of messaging apps. It's just in terms of um, the ability of fraudsters getting to your private data, it's just a little bit more secure than just your regular communications apps. And this is one good thing you can do for yourself using encrypted messaging applications. And in general, the way I look on privacy, you know, my kind of view here is that you might not like you might not need it right now. Like you're not doing anything, you know, or you're not yet so rich that somebody might come after you or whatnot. But I think of it as a strategy for life. And you never know when it might come handy and you cannot do anything after the fact, unfortunately. So that's why it's better to be prepared. And it's something also like privacy and security topics, especially online, is really not something we think of as a crucial thing, right? Oh, it should. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, it's my mom. She's gone now, but we would, you know, get her a computer and she'd immediately wreck it. But literally, you know, just blow it up by hitting every, everything that, you know, crossed across, came across her way. And she got, her computer would have some, so much malware and we would keep saying, mom, please don't, please don't do that. Please don't. Well, it told me that, oh, geez, mom, don't click on anything other than email. We finally just stopped giving her computers because it just got too expensive to maintain. Mm -hmm. But some people are just going to do that. And you don't have to be wealthy or even online. You don't have to be anybody. They're going to, somebody's going to come after you. Somebody, something is going to come after you. It's a given. Yeah, exactly. And one of the books that I really wanted to recommend for everyone to read is called The Complete Privacy and Security Desk Reference. This is the name of the book. It's long. It's co-authored by Justin Carroll and also quite a prominent author in the space, Michael Basil. Uh, They co-wrote it together. And it's a textbook which will explain how to become digitally invisible. Give us the name again. I wrote it down, but I didn't get all of it. Like you said, it's a long name. It's a long one. So the complete privacy and security desk reference. Got it. uh, By Michael Basil and Justin Carroll, co-authored. So, of course, it's, you know, complete privacy is difficult to achieve, but there are some simple tools we can use to just protect ourselves a little bit from, you know, 
different hurdles. So using encrypted messaging is one of those tools. Another one is always using complex passwords and different passwords for every account you have online. And the best way to achieve this is to use any of the password managers, well-known password managers available. LastPass is great for that. Exactly. Also, um, my personal recommendation is to not announce on which password manager you're on. I never do. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that would just be common sense, but common sense is really not that common. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad you said that. So, yeah, I mean, for people like who like to go on social media and say, hey, I'm using this password manager. Well, don't do that because uh, password manager is your safe and you don't want people to know where your safe is. Exactly. I used to use LastPass, just if anybody's asking, but I don't any longer. That's why I don't mind saying it, but it is a good one. There are several. There yeah. really are. So find one that works for you that you can, you know, deal with and go for that. And if you have to pay for it, pay for it. It's well worth your safety. Absolutely. And it's easy to change passwords on it and, you know, have to memorize everything. And, you know, these days the password need to be very, very complex because the fraudsters, yeah, they, they, they use tech as well to break the codes and passwords. And the other problem many people don't think about still many people use the same password for many websites and accounts and the problem with that is when one of those is breached what the the hackers do next is they try your password for every website out there they they get the the data from one breached website and they start to just numerically statistically try to combine it with every available website online that is done by special programs and tech and automatically. So it's really not like manual labor anymore. The hacking, it's all very techy. And that's why if you have the same password for like Facebook, Instagram, I don't know, a bank account, something. Okay. So if you have a Walmart account and you're doing your grocery shopping over there, you can't have that same password that you're going to have Facebook or, and you're right. It's, they're going, it's going to happen. I think what we're really trying to say here, Liliana, is protect yourself. Use a VPN, use password protection. You know, yeah, it's going to be a pain in the fanny to have 150 different passwords, but if you're using one of these tools, it's not that difficult. You're not going to be able to remember it. So you mm-hmm. will have that tool handy, you know, either on your desktop, on your phone, wherever you are. But, you know, do it. Do it today. Y'all need homework? Go change your passwords today. Yeah, and get a password manager to be exactly to be ahead a little bit. So another good way to protect yourself online is to use two-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. So if people... Uh, ever used a website that is offering to enter a code from a text message in in addition to the password. This is one form of two-factor auth. And the attacker's job is just made more difficult since uh, they need to access your account name, password, and your phone number. So it's just like, it's a little bit harder to break in that situation. Um, Of course, you know, phone numbers are also often accessed by social engineers who exploit human psychology. And 
accounts are quite simple to hack into. So it's better to not use like text message authentication, but go a little bit further in that process and use authentication app like Google Authenticator uh, on the smartphone. Uh, this app creates the codes that you need to enter a particular website. It works in a similar way, but this is where you need an actual physical access to your device as opposed to just a phone number, which can be accessed on other devices sometimes. This is just significantly enhances the overall security. So two-factor authentication is something you should turn on on any valuable website, be it your mail apps, banking apps, social media apps, for sure. Those three points of break-ins are the most vulnerable most of the times and most desirable by hackers to hackers. So that's where you need to factor and you need the two-factor app on your smartphone for that. Absolutely. And you were talking about phones. I'm one of these oddball people that yeah, I have an expensive iPhone. Yeah, who doesn't? But I use it mostly for pictures. I take pictures of my cats mm. in the yard and I almost never have it anywhere near me. I do not use my cell phone for business and I will not give out my cell phone number and it's private. It really is private. If I call you from my phone, it's a blocked number. That's just all there is to it. And maybe five or six people in the world even have that phone number. I'm very, very funny about my cell phone, mm. but a lot of people will just you know, say, well, you know, I'll text you. Well, no, you can't. You're going to have to email me. But so many people these days are just giving out those phone numbers willy-nilly. And I worry about that. Am I right to be concerned about that? Absolutely. I think you're actually one of the rare examples of people who are very aware about privacy. Uh, unfortunately, still rare example. So I really wish more people were just like that and just be a little bit cautious how they present themselves online. And my personal pain is people posting their children online oh God, in, you and me in open accounts. Oh, I... Do you listen to our audience? Do you know where those pictures wind up? Yeah. Seriously, they're going to wind up in places that you wish to God they never wound up and you can't get them down. Yeah. And I mean, even if it's not that dark, hopefully. I had a, I have an actual friend whose daughter's picture they posted on some social media, Instagram or Facebook, whatnot. It ended up in a commercial, unauthorized commercial. No, 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 no. <laughs> Can yeah. you imagine? This is insane. Oh. Campers commercial or what? What something? It's not like actual like. This is crazy. Yeah, it is, and you have a very young child, so I can understand why you do yeah. put those pictures out there. Yeah. And I mean, we don't want the identity, our identity, our children's identity to be copied or stolen. I have so many friends occasionally posting like, do not trust this account. They stole all of my pictures and present them as as myself. They're, this is not me asking you for money. So people do all crazy things with pictures online. So I would be really, really careful about sharing kids' pictures and also geographical locations as well. Mm -hmm. like, Take that, that information off any pictures that you are going to post. Totally. Yeah, yeah. listen, I'm a, I'm a bit of a freak when it comes to privacy. I always have been. I read 1984 
mm-hmm. when I was pretty young and it scared the bejeebers out of me. And I took it very seriously. But on my podcast, people will say, well, you know, what do you look like? Well, there are no pictures of me on the internet ever. There never have been. There never will be. You can find my logo. You can find pictures of my cats, which is deliberate because I set that up so people understand that I am a real person, you know, that I <laughs> I do have pets in a home. I'm not a robot. And honestly, I'm very, very careful. My Even my, my office line is blocked. Mm. You know, everything is blocked. I took Google, you know, the Google, um, what do you call that? When they take a picture of your house, I had that taken down. It's not mm. taken down, but... It's you can't see it because it's blurred. My privacy is very, very important to me. And I wish more people would start paying attention to their privacy. Listen, you can be out there. You can be out there in a big way. This podcast is testament to that. But you don't have to show people your bikini pictures. I mean, seriously, (laughs) keep it personable, but keep it as private as you can. Mm -hmm. Agree with you. I'm not on, on, on that extreme of a spectrum, but I'm careful mm-hmm. as well. I'm quite careful. Um, my information is out there, of course. I'm like more using my my face a lot in different situations, but I kind of feel it's something I can afford to do. And I really think this is even all right, you know, mm-hmm. because because I don't do other things. I don't post my kid I don't post my geolocation my home my anything associated with my private life I in the book that I recommended the complete privacy and security thing I think I want to add another one from from the same author Michael Basil he has a wonderful book on overall security not only digital which is called extreme privacy what it takes to disappear Mm, Okay, let me write that down. Extreme privacy, what it takes to disappear. Yeah, it's a new book by him. And it discusses some topics like, for instance, when you buy a car, you need to buy it with an LLC and not on your personal Mm -hmm. name, for instance. This is one thing people rarely even think about, frankly. And all of that, I think this is quite a good account on all of that around overall privacy. Uh, to look into. And I agree with you that moving forward, people, I hope, will think about this a little bit more and be a little bit more cautious overall. And it's not us. Listen, everybody, it's not us being paranoid. I may be a little (laughs) bit, who knows, but I've always been this way. This is not something that just kind of crept up on me. My privacy has always been very important to me. I'm a highly committed introvert. I need to be left alone. I don't need people walking up to my door and say, hey, can we talk to Denise? No, you cannot. You know, this <laughs> just, no. But the way the world is going now, and people can find you anywhere. They can defame you anywhere. They can praise you anywhere. Mm. But you need to be very, very careful how you present and what you present, how you show up and how you... And especially with me, I've got a lot of clients. I don't want anybody breaking into my vaults. Seriously. If they can get into one, they can probably get into the rest of them. That would destroy my business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you really think about the consequences. Right. People rarely go there, right? What if I'm, you know, my identity is stolen? What if 
my accounts are accessed and stuff like that. People kind of don't go there too much. But in terms of financial security, we really have to, I think. Oh, absolutely. And we're not trying to scare everybody. We're just trying to, you know, kind of point out what could happen. It's up to you if you do anything with it. I hope you will. I hope you'll listen to her and, you know, take some of this advice, grab those books. So now let's go, if you don't mind, let's Mm -hmm. go to leadership because you said to me one time that it's essential for contemporary business leaders to transition into coaching roles for their teams. Now, I'm not sure what this has to do with AI, but it may have. So let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, you know, I actually can make a connection there. Oh, good. So the connection with AI is that so many people are worried about their jobs being replaced by AI, AI, right? Uh Exactly. So that's something that has been talked about a lot lately. And the leadership and coaching mindset and growth mindset that I really, really love and try to go by, they offer a solution to this anxiety. Basically saying that when we constantly develop ourselves, see and work with our strongest qualities and leverage them, we don't have to worry about AI replacing us anywhere, basically, because it's it's a big, scary story that, you know, AI is going to be everywhere. But if people are more better critical thinkers, uh, better leaders, this is something that AI won't be able to replace for hundreds of years to come. And this is something that will become more valuable in the next decades. Think of it as hard skills versus soft skills, basically. And uh, coaching culture, it relies on soft skills and its development and people. And this is something we have that no machine can possess for a very long time, hopefully. So the coaching culture that I'm excited about is where you really thrive and try to elevate people based on what makes them happy, makes them feel fulfilled in life and work, especially environments. Um, And it's just a way to be agile in, in this technology space where everything changes so fast and you really cannot keep up with machines right but as a human being we can be more resilient and better thinkers and just better humans overall and this would I think what makes us future proof for what's to come in the tech space I agree with you and Something that I think a lot of people, I've, you know, I've read and I watch and I listen, and I think a lot of leaders are discovering that empathy is not just something that they need to put aside and use that at home with their kids. They need to use that at work as well. And you're not going to get empathy or understanding or kindness from a machine. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And basically, what is the culture of coaching in its in essence? It's a climate where people can freely give and receive feedback, support, and help each other's thinking process. Also challenge each other a little bit with support and stress test ideas 
that are appropriate and engage in development conversations that are short but also impactful. So it's basically a culture that is built on trust, collaboration, and accountability. And I think I think this is what the world needs actually these days. And authenticity is something that we have lost a little bit in, in the corporate world, you know, in, in the past decade decades, I think. And it's something that will be on the forefront in the next couple of decades for sure. So people who are authentic and sincere and also good thinkers are going to just excel and succeed, I think, in, in the years to come. I agree with you. And if that's part of your company culture now and going forward, I don't think you need to worry about shedding great employees or employees saying, oh, geez, you know, I've got to go do something different because I know you're going to get rid of me. Your culture is important. And when you're talking about empathy and, you know, making sure that people understand what it is that you're doing, I think a lot of companies don't keep in touch with their employees and let them know what's really going on. We saw this in COVID. I'm sure you did. Mm-hmm. You know, people were just saying, we don't even know if we have a job anymore. What happened? What's going on? And communication to me is absolutely paramount. Yeah. And I mean, not many people know how to do it, strangely. So I think that a leader has the responsibility to learn about it and implement it with, with, well, even, I mean, in the work environment, of course, but even in the family as well, it's where you just believe in people and you see the best in them. Everyone has the better side to them, right? And you just help people see their better side and work from it. And I think this is just a positive, like, overall outlook on people, if you know what I mean, just like you generally see people as capable humans. And this is rarely found, I think, in the in the world where just like you see people as means uh, of achieving something, you know, zero sum attitude. So coaching culture is the opposite. It's it's win-win attitude in in business and in life. And that's why I I'm I'm a true believer that it works in a long run. It does. And you know what I love masterminds. It can mm-hmm. be a free one, it can be one that you're paying for, but you get to get in a room with this via Zoom or however you're going to meet up. It could be a book club, it can be just about anything, but you get to learn from everybody in that room. It may be, oh, that was, yeah, that's cute. I like that. Or it's like, oh my God, how did I not know that? So take advantage of masterminds wherever they they pop up for you. I think I'm, um, if you ask me what I, who really inspired me overall into the going into this coaching culture journey overall is Bill Campbell. It is it is known for a fact now that he has been coached to Steve Jobs, to Eric Schmidt from Google, to other high-tech CEOs. And there is a book about him written by Eric Schmidt, which is called A Trillion Dollar Coach. Trillion and Dollar Coach? Trillion Dollar Coach. Yeah, wow. it's a book about this Bill Campbell. I'm writing uh, it he, it's, it's, it's just an interesting account on how those companies were 
built. And as you know, Steve Jobs was not a nice person. That's what <laughs> and, we're told. <laughs> and he had certain difficulties when he was uh, returning to Apple. After he was ousted, he then returned to Apple to lead it again. And he had to change his mindset from being, being this type of, you know, solo founder to being someone who can work with a board of directors moving forward as a CEO and work with a company in a stage of high growth. And that's quite challenging for, for, for many people to do how to grow with a company as a leader. And that's when he brought Bill Campbell as a coach on board for himself. It's called executive coaching actually. So Google founders also experienced a little bit of challenges on uh, in the beginning of this company where, you know, they had some strange ideas about how developers should operate in the company and not asking the developers themselves <laughs> about it. So this is where ben Bill Campbell came in and kind of helped to create this back loop and feedback loop in the, in, in the early Google uh, to make sure that what the founders want to do is aligned with what people actually need uh, to work better. So it's a wonderful just book and it's quite motivating and inspiring, I think. And it really affected me in a good way and inspired me to embark on a path to executive uh, coaching. Well, thank you for sharing that. I wrote it down and I'm going to go find it. But what I'm hearing from you is that, and, and we see this all the time. I used to be this way myself. We're the kind of boss or the kind of leader that says, just do what you're told. Nobody gets hurt. That doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that really is uh, something to consider for a lot of people. So first of all, do they want to put up with this type of attitude. And on the other hand, as leaders, um, I, I can I can tell you that I was a leader like that maybe 10 years ago. I had a team. I had to have a talk with myself. Turns out I was the bottleneck. Who knew? Yeah. So I really discovered that I was not a great boss to, to my peers. And I learned it the hard way. I had a team of people just quitting on me at one point, And I was just like, what's the matter? Like we have great results. Like everybody has good pay. So everybody was compensated fairly, blah, blah, blah. But they were not happy <laughs> and they just quit. So, I mean, I never wanted to experience anything like that in my life again, ever. So that's why I just went and started to learn more about psychology, leadership techniques and approaches and I I believe I became a little bit more empathetic in result, which helps me work with people in 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 the modern day and just feel good about my team and myself. Exactly. A... But you saw the need to change. You saw what was happening with me. My team was getting very sullen and I noticed mm -hmm. it and I finally just said, what is going on? Well, I was barking orders at them. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, just do it my way. Nobody gets hurt. After we had that come to Jesus conversation, I realized that in many areas of the work that I was asking them to do, because they would work on just one piece of the, the puzzle and they were trained on it. They stayed on top of it. I wasn't. I knew how to ask what I wanted, but I didn't have the time or the energy. I had people, so I didn't have to keep learning and relearning. 
And it turns out that once I gave them permission to tell me to bug off sometimes, their creativity just went through the roof. And they'd say, well, Denise, how about this? Oh, and some of them have been with me 10 years or better now, but I gave them permission to be their best, which I was not doing prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the type of learning curve I think every leader can take. And it leads just to more interesting outcomes, right? It just makes a little bit better environment. Um, mental health, again, you know, is a big topic. It is. Coaching culture. Yeah, it's it's influencing the overall culture and environment in the organization, which is valuable. It is. Well, Liliana, we are just about out of time. And I'm really sorry that we are because this has been a fascinating conversation. Where can people find you? And do you have any kind of last minute thoughts that you would like the audience to know about? Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you too. I really appreciate how how you can just dwell on the large topics and allow allow your guest to be philosophical a little bit. That's um, that's just great. Um, my final thoughts for listeners are: AI is not as scary as they say. Um, you can future proof yourself by enhancing your soft skills. This is something that robots won't be able to do for a very long time. And at the same time, since the technology is getting so far developed, we really need to think about privacy and security online and offline as well, and just be more cautious to make sure we are all all right and everything is good for us. So that is that is my final thought. I, I I prefer to be on the optimistic side of things, and you can find me on my LinkedIn. It's Liliana Pertanava, P-E-R-T-E-N-A-V-A. Uh, go ahead and subscribe or add. This is the account that I use most for my all of my business communications. Excellent. And listen, when I write up the show notes later today, I'm going to absolutely mention the books that that you gave me, and I'm going to go hunt for them myself, because the one in particular, Bill Campbell, that one sounds absolutely fascinating, and the other ones almost have to be part of my entrepreneurial library as I learn to protect myself better and, you know, help my clients protect themselves. So thank you for those suggestions. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Denise. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. Same here. So for our audience, as we conclude today's episode, your feedback means a lot to me. And if you found the show helpful, please do support us with a quick review on iTunes. Your input is vital in my mission to inspire and empower more individuals. So don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review, be sure to share your part in Success Radio with friends and colleagues, and be sure to find Liliana Pertanova. Correct. Pertanova. <laughs> Pertanova. <laughs> but I'm thinking I'm going to need coffee. But listen, find her on the web, find her on LinkedIn. And thank you for tuning in. Liliana, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Denise. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.